On this episode of What The F Podcast, I tell a case about how social media can lead to jealousy. And I tell you about a case where a nurse breaks her oath. Hi, welcome to What the F podcast. I am Tamara. And I'm Rebecca. And we're a true crime podcast. And we also do discuss some pop culture. And current events. Yeah. Current events every now and then. But this episode, we will be discussing true crime cases. Mm-hmm. So me and Rebecca. <laughs> yes. Both have true crime <laughs> cases for you. Yes. <laughs> we are... Feeling great. Yeah, we're recording. It's like 11 o'clock at night. Our favorite time of the day. We are late night people. Yes. And we had yummy pizza. Yeah. And um, wine. Some wine. And the cat is screaming in the other room. So <laughs> if you hear some meowing, <laughs> that's Buddha, our studio kitty. And he also comes to life at night. <laughs> yes. And it just seems like whenever we're recording, now he has something to say. He he wants to be on the mic, too. Uh, apparently. Yeah. Let's hope he keeps it together this time. Yeah. But if you hear anything, you know, hopefully he doesn't knock over any mannequins Please tonight. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> okay. But yes, it's us. Yeah. The boys are gone today. So yes. we're recording again today by ourselves. By ourselves. It's just us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and hop on into it. Yeah. So... I have a true crime case, and this is about a couple. Okay. Jasmine Nunez and Andres Ceballos. So Jasmine Nunez and Andres Ceballos were a couple, and Jasmine was 22 years old, and Andres was 26 years old. Jasmine was described as being extremely attractive. She was very beautiful on the inside and also on the outside. And very friendly. She had a spirit that made people just want to be around her. They wanted to be her friend. She was just able to draw people in. She was studying to be a medical assistant at Mandel College, which is an allied health college that's located in New York City. She had a long-term goal of becoming a surgical tech. And Jasmine had just recently moved to New York City from her hometown of Springfield, Massachusetts, which is about three hours away. She had a dad, her dad and mom weren't together and her dad lived in the Bronx. So she moved there to be closer to him. So in May of 2010, Jasmine met Andres at JFK airport. And the meeting would be described as something that was like straight out of a movie. Jasmine was disappointed because she had missed a flight to Miami And she was just going to take a short getaway to visit family and friends before her classes started. While she was waiting for a later flight, because she had missed her flight, a handsome security guard struck up conversation Mm. with Jasmine. And so it was Andres. They had a nice conversation, but Jasmine was a little wary about guys. She had had a bad relationship she had just gotten out of. So she wasn't exactly looking. And also she was very pretty, so she always got hit on. Sure. So Andres asked 
for her number, but she didn't give it. Okay. And that's actually how I used to be with guys. I didn't give out my number. I always took their number. So he was very understanding of her apprehension. And he went ahead and gave her his number. And he just told her, call anytime. And she did. Their first date was very romantic. Andres took her to a very classy and expensive restaurant. And that really impressed Jasmine because she had never, ever had a guy treat her well. Mm-hmm. She'd never been taken out on a nice date, had a nice dinner. Right. He was really trying to impress her. And so Andres was very polite, friendly, and extremely complimentary, telling her how beautiful she was. And she just really liked all the attention he was giving her. And she really, really liked him. They had similar backgrounds. Both their families were from the Dominican Republic. And they both seemed very focused and they both were career oriented and had goals that they were going after. So Andres was from the Bronx. He was a graduate of Cornell University where he majored in business. And he worked as a security guard part time, but his true passion was comedy. He wanted to become a successful comedian. Andre seemed more mature than the guys Jasmine had been dating. He was driven. He had an apartment. He had a car. He wasn't a loser. Mm-hmm. So Jasmine's last boyfriend um, was the one who ran the relationship. She didn't feel like she was in charge. But she felt like with Andre, she would be in charge. He seemed like he put her on a pedestal. He absolutely showered her with love and affection and he gave her flowers all the time. And this is just, she never been treated like this by a guy before. So they fell for each other pretty hard and pretty fast. And within a few months, Jasmine moved into Andre's apartment, which mm. was in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Jasmine was very active on social media. She often posted selfies and she gave updates on her life. I mean, she was constantly on Twitter, like, throughout the day, just posting, posting, posting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, remember, this is back in 2011, so I think followers, she probably would have more followers now, but at the time, she had over a 1,000 followers on her social media accounts. Okay. And so, at that time, that was considered a lot. And she saw her followers as real friends. She didn't see them as just people that liked her. And so, she actually would respond to their comments and have conversations with them. Sure. And she had a lot of male followers because she was a very pretty girl, but she never responded inappropriately or and she didn't post inappropriate pics or anything like that. She was very respectful of her relationship with Andres, but Andres didn't understand why she was on social media so much because he didn't use it very often. He would use it to like test out his jokes for comedy and stuff. And he just wasn't as active and so Jasmine tweeted a lot throughout the day, but... Was he funny? We'll get to that. <laughs> I'm like, if he was testing on his jokes and he didn't have a lot of followers, then we got a problem. It was like um, something where he had posted like over um, 1,200 different tweets and he had like... 30 likes or something like oh, that. It no. was like ridiculously small um, oh, amount of like, yeah. And so uh, the stuff that Jasmine would tweet, she would talk about how she'd wear her boyfriend's 
t-shirt like whenever he wasn't home because she missed him you know she liked the smell of it she would talk about her love of seafood and Mm -hmm. especially red lobster and (laughs) well she loved her some red lobster she posted yeah she tweeted about that a lot uh she talked about how she wanted to get hair extensions because she was sick of straightening her hair every day she had naturally curly hair Mm -hmm. uh she talked about how she loved Beyonce so much and how she loved Jay-Z and Beyonce's relationship. So she just really... Which is always talking. It was just normal tweets. Girl conversation. Almost like anything that, yes. Or anyone, I guess anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, she would get comments from guys, though, and stuff, but she didn't ever flirt sure. with them. So, but Andre started voicing to Jasmine how he didn't like how she was interacting with her followers. Mm-mm. Yeah, Jasmine was very headstrong. She didn't back down, and she did not stop communicating with her followers just because Andres didn't like it. Andres was very insecure because Jasmine was very pretty. She's probably the prettiest girl he's ever ever, dated. Yeah, she was out of his league. And so he just didn't like how she had so many followers that were male and that would tell her how beautiful she was and how they loved to be with her. And Andres knew Jasmine could have her pick of any guy that she wanted. She was very beautiful. And so instead of feeling lucky that mm-hmm. he was with someone no, like that. No, he was that, some, super jealous. Yeah. It only increased his insecurity and jealousy, you know. Mm. And so he started accusing Jasmine of cheating on him. And it really hurt Jasmine because he was accusing her of being unfaithful. And that's just something that is not her she was a very loyal person you know um but she wasn't going to stop tweeting right that was her thing that was her thing yeah and i think she felt like this was something that he would he just needed to get over that's his problem so anyway so in february february 11 2011 andres did a stand-up routine at the Times square arts center in new york city so they were having an open mic night Jasmine recorded it and uploaded it to YouTube. Uh, I couldn't find it on YouTube, though. But I read an article from uh, Business Insider that talked about it, but I could not find it. So I think it's been removed, um, which sucks. (laughs) But Business Insider stated that Andres had an extended riff about masturbation during his routine. And it was delivered to a largely silent audience. And you could only hear Jasmine laughing. She was holding the the camera recording it, you know. Um, She was trying. So he pretty much bombed that night. Okay. She was the only one laughing at his jokes. Most of the people were not. Mm -mm. Um, His jokes are described as being very inappropriate. A lot of them sexual. And a lot of them things that you would not expect somebody who's in a relationship to be saying okay yes and just not funny you know (laughs) so you can say inappropriate things and sometimes it is funny there are i mean comedy is supposed to push dirty yeah the limits Mm -hmm. but he just did not have that gift (laughs) no no so that night the couple ended up having a huge fight andres had invited a group of his friends to watch him bomb and one of the invitees was his ex-girlfriend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Andre spent a lot of time with her. He was flirting. And Jasmine even felt like the group had been talking about her behind her back. 
She just felt really excluded. They had stories that she didn't know about. Well, I think, like, she specifically felt like they were talking about her. Mm. And so this really angered Jasmine, especially because Andres would always accuse her of flirting with guys and cheating. And then here he was actually flirting with someone right in front of yeah. her face. And I think people who accuse people of cheating are cheating. They're guilty of I it. I agree, too, especially if it's going on and on and mm-hmm. you don't have any proof at all. You're just making up stuff in your head. Mm-hmm. Because you're insecure. Yeah. And I I agree. It's and going on in your head, which means you think that it's happening on the other side because you're paranoid. Also, because you're so insecure, you need to have the validation mm-hmm. of having somebody else who's into you. Yep. Even though you may have like a main chick. Exactly. Who, yeah. Who's giving you the time. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Mm. So after the comedy club, uh, the group went to a dance club. Andres got really, really, really drunk there, and he made a huge scene. He got mad at Jasmine because a guy was dancing with her, and she ended up getting upset because she was still mad over his ex being there. Sure. She was still there, and so she just left early and went over to her friend's house, and she talked to her sister, Melanie, about the fight and said, I'm leaving him. This is it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so her sister was like, okay, I'm going to come and pick you up. Remember, her sister is in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is three hours away. So she was like, I'll pick you up the uh, next day. You get all your stuff together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So by the time her sister was able to talk to her again, she wasn't able to come and pick her up because there was a snowstorm. She got a flat tire. Oh, no. And Andres had apologized to Jasmine. And she was ready to get get back. And she took him back because this is a cycle that they did. So it would be jealousy, anger, fighting, and then apologies, kissing, and making up. And it would just go over and over. That's called domestic violence. Yes. It's It's domestic abuse. It's abuse cycle. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so Jasmine had told her sister that she believed that Andres was logging into her social media accounts and reading her private messages. Oh, my God. So she would go to the shower, she'd leave the room, and she'd come back, and she'd see, like, her phone was on a different screen. Sure. Or stuff was up she didn't yeah, know Yeah, exactly. And so she actually confronted him about it, and he seemed like he was more justified in doing it. Like, why are you talking to so-and-so? And why are you still talking to an ex? And da-da-da-da-da, you know? Right. And when he shouldn't, he should respect her privacy. And that's another, yeah, that's another part, like where you, someone needs to respect your privacy. And so he was eavesdropping on all her phone calls and everything too. And so Melanie, Jasmine's sister, said that whenever Jasmine would visit home, Springfield, Massachusetts, um, to visit her mom, and she had another younger sister also, Andres was always with her. They rarely saw Jasmine without him. So he was there all the time. He needed to know where she was 24-7. That's controlling, obviously. Uh, yes. He mm. would always insert himself into her plans with her family and friends. And Melanie said that Andres was always nice around the family, and he seemed perfect. And the couple never fought. Mm-hmm. They just appeared really, really happy. And so except for one time when her younger sister, Danielle saw them in a major disagreement. They had come home to Springfield and they ended up on the floor. They were rolling around and fighting with each other, screaming and yelling. And this is the first time she'd ever seen 
them that bad. Yeah. And so Jasmine's mother ended ended up breaking up the fight. So Iris, the mom, broke up the fight. The family was just shocked. And they'd never seen Jasmine ever fight with any of her boyfriends mm, like that. Of course. That's upsetting. Yeah. So, and... So we hear Buddha meowing. <laughs> Buddha doesn't like this either. He doesn't like that <laughs> the fighting. He doesn't like it. Nope. And so April 2011, uh, the couple took a beautiful vacation to Aruba. And the trip was good and they patched things up. But then just a few days after they were home, Jasmine was upset again with Andres. And it was the same story. He didn't trust her. He never let her have her privacy. And... Things were fine whenever Andres had complete control of the situation, but as soon as he lost control, he'd get upset with Jasmine. He suffocated her, and she was beginning not to want to be around him. So, June 5th, 2011, Jasmine was fed up with Andres. She wanted to leave him. Jasmine started to wonder if Andres was hiding things from her, just like what we said earlier. Mm -hmm. So usually people who accuse their significant other of constantly cheating end up being the ones who are actually doing the cheating. So she decided she was going to log into his social media accounts. So she had messaged her sister on Facebook and told her that she found out a lot of weird things about Andres. Uh, She found out that he'd been lying about a lot of things, and now she looks at him differently. She was starting a new job as a dental hygienist the next day, and Jasmine was planning on saving up her money and then just moving out of the apartment. So that was the last time that Melanie actually spoke with her sister. She didn't get to hear about what exactly Jasmine found out about Andres. Her sister called, Melanie called the apartment after that because she was supposed to call her the next day so that they could talk. But she kept getting the answering machine. Oh, no. And so then on June 7th, she left a message on Jasmine's Facebook wall and she left it kind of joking. She goes, where have you been? I haven't heard from you in years. What time do you finish work? So Jasmine did respond and said 1030 home around an hour later. So she looked through some of the tweets. So um, she was looking through her tweets and saw that she hadn't been really tweeting like how she normally does, like daily. Sure. You know, but she just figured she's, she's go- busy. She's busy. She's going to work in school right now. You know, she tried to call. She tried to call her, but she couldn't reach her again. She would call on the apartment phone and no one would answer. So uh, I decided then to look through Andres, his uh, tweets, and he last tweeted on June 5th. 2011 also so he had a lot of jokes and it's still there yeah it's still there so he had a lot of jokes and they weren't funny that he had jokes about fat people oh god did you have any jokes did you write anything down i have some of them um i didn't want to say they have just some so of them. bad some of them are like bad um really yeah he had jokes about dark-skinned people like being too dark oh shit uh several jokes about rape so he had this one, putting a roofie in her drink, hashtag leads to sex. He's a misogynist. He's <laughs> like, how is that funny? You know, I'm like, He's what the so fuck? He's so awful. Um, this is another one. Using duct tape on her always leads to sex. 
Oh my god! I know. I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Okay, I get what you're saying. Yes. that is way worse than he's just a bad joker. He's yes. terribly disgusting. Ter- yes, um, snorting coke off a stripper's ass. He had another one. Hashtag that awkward moment when someone's so ugly it looks like a disease. Jesus Christ! I know. Hashtag that awkward moment and sad moment when you realize a chick is only good for one thing. Okay, and she yeah. was way. Yeah, I mean, out, if he you was out of his league. Oh my gosh! And then he had this one: things to do. Number one, rip panties off. Number two, who cares what else I got to do? Good God! I know. And yeah, then, he's just ripping panties yes, left and like, right. He's disgusting. He's disgusting. He I went mean, to the, he went to the store and bought some panties. He's ripping them apart or something. He is <laughs> off not, a mannequin. Yeah, it's <laughs> plastic doll. <laughs> He's gross. And then he had philosophical tweets like this one. If a key opens many locks, it's a master key. If a lock is opened by many keys, it's a shitty key. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Either that's so over, the, it's so smart. I don't believe it's that case. I do not believe it's smarter than no, I No, he's not smart. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then he had this one that I thought was really weird because it was... Um, right around the same time and he had that he should change he's goes i should change my dog's name to bloodbath what yeah and i was just like that's weird very strange yes weird so just the name i mean i can already visualize i know i'm just like are you okay it's gross it is so on june 9th 2011 Jasmine sent a Twitter message saying that something was wrong with her Facebook account and she couldn't log in. So she couldn't get a hold of her sister. Then, but her sister still couldn't reach her. Melanie still couldn't reach her after that. So then on June 12, 2011, Andres finally answers the apartment phone in the Bronx. So he told Melanie that Jasmine went out for drinks with classmates. She said she'll probably be home in a couple hours. And he just said she's been really busy with work and school. So Melanie said, I've been trying to reach her for a week now. Could you please make sure she gives me a call back? Jasmine didn't call her back that night. Mm -mm. So on June 17th, 2011, which was a Friday, Mandel College, which is where Jasmine went to school, called Jasmine's dad asking if Jasmine was all right. Which is very weird because the college doesn't Does usually not do, do that. that. They just let you go. I know the college I went to would not do that. No, nope. <laughs> they would have been. Well, I'm thinking this must have been like a smaller college, maybe. You know, I don't think my college would because I know I I have been sick sometimes and missed okay. school. I don't think they cared. They just think you dropped. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they call. So they called the father. So she had not been in classes all week. Jasmine was always reliable. She never missed school. Melanie sent messages on their social media like, hey, please, please, please get a hold of us. She called the apartment phone. No answer again. So the family wasn't worried before at all. They just thought she was super busy. And they spoke with Andres and said he said she was fine, you know. But now they were actually starting to get worried because they hadn't heard from her. She hadn't been at school. And the school also told them that the apartment phone had been disconnected. Mm, okay. So they knew something was wrong, but um, they didn't have any way to contact any of Andre's family or friends because they just didn't have any of that info. 
And so they weren't sure really what to do. Iris, Jasmine's mom, became really upset and her motherly instincts were kicking in. She knew something was wrong because all of this was just not like Jasmine. And it just seemed like both of them were in trouble. So the family just thought something is up with them. They've disappeared. Mm-hmm. So that weekend, the next day was a Saturday. So Melanie and her father and the police went to Andres and Jasmine's apartment. They had to break down the door because no one answered. Mm. So at this point, they were worried about the couple. No one had heard from them. Both were not answering social media messages. And they both weren't posting anything. So it was just like they were gone. The police didn't seem too concerned, though. They figured the couple probably went on a trip together and they just didn't notify family and friends. But the family knows something's up. Um, Jasmine spoke with her sister Melanie every single day. So, and those calls stopped, you know. So something had to been wrong. So in the apartment, no one was there. The dog was gone. The place looked normal, though. Nothing looked disturbed. Didn't look like anything was knocked over. No cleanup or anything like that. What was odd was that Andre's clothes were missing from his closet, but all of Jasmine's clothes were still hanging up. Okay. There was a duffel bag that also had Andre's clothes in it. Also, Jasmine's laptop was still there. She didn't go anywhere without her laptop. She always was posting stuff, you know. Also, her flat iron was in the bathroom, which she constantly was straightening out her hair every single day. She definitely would not go on a trip without that. And... The Father's Day came that same weekend, and she didn't call her dad. They knew something was up because Jasmine was very family-oriented. So the family started thinking at this point that something happened with Jasmine and not Andres, and that he had something to do with her missing. The police finally filed a missing person report, and her sister posted then online that they were looking for the couple, both of them. The post went viral because Jasmine actually had a lot of people who cared about her. Sure. She had a lot of followers. Everybody was really, really concerned about it. And people just did not know if maybe one of her followers might have did something, you know. Mm. Did Andres have something to do with her missing? Did something happen to both of them? You know, the family just wasn't really sure. And so Melanie and her dad, they asked if the police could locate Jasmine's car because she had OnStar which is a GPS system. And they were able to track the car to Virginia Beach. They didn't know who was driving it, though. They just knew that the car was in motion. Uh Uh-huh, in that location, and it was being driven. And so the police sent a state trooper to pull it over. So while they were waiting for that, Melanie received a call from an old classmate of Jasmine's. She told Melanie that there was a rumor that her sister had been found dead in James Beard Park in upstate Mm. New York. And the state police had created a Facebook page that had a picture of a tattoo of a deceased female body. So like a tattoo trying to see if anybody would recognize that. Melanie saw the tattoo and immediately recognized it as her sister. Oh, my God. It was a flower arrangement on her lower back, three purple and two red flowers surrounded by green leaves. And it was a custom tattoo, so she knew that. It's not a regular one you're going to see. Right. So she just couldn't believe what she was seeing at the time. She didn't think this could be real. It seemed surreal. 
she didn't believe it was happening. And she just started screaming and yelling. She was at the police station when she got this call. And she knew that Jasmine wasn't alive at that time. And she was just yelling at the cops in frustration. Why can't you pull over this car? You know, why don't we know who's driving it? So how the, uh, the body was found was firefighters had been called to a park because of a brush fire. And they found a badly burned female body that was lying on the grass. She was wearing Levi's jeans, Victoria's Secret underwear, and a cami shirt. Someone had seen a man driving away from the scene, but the body was unrecognizable because of how much it had been burned. And so the police had to turn to Facebook in hopes of someone recognizing the tattoo. Oh, my God. So some friends recognized it, and that's how the rumor got started, and that's how it got along to Melanie. So... At this time, also, the Virginia police had pulled over the car of Andres Sabeos, and he was driving it. Mm-hmm. So as a cop was walking to the car, Andre speeds off. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So the cop had to get in the car, chase the car down till it stopped. <sighs> so Andres got out of the car then and began running, but also shooting at the cops. Okay. Yeah. That can only end a certain way. Right. So he ran into a residential neighborhood and he ran into a field and he shot himself. And he was dead at the scene. So it was all over. He did it because he was a fucking coward. And he didn't have to answer any questions. Nope. Why don't you just kill yourself? Why did you have to kill her? I know. I just hate that. Just kill yourself then. I mean, if, oh, God. You know, like, why do you have to take her life? So no one knows exactly what happened because the body was so burned, they couldn't really tell, you know, and they don't really know exactly what day she died. Because it was, yeah, there was the decomposition wasn't right. there anymore. They just know that the last time anyone talked to her, her was June 5th. So what, was he keeping her body? Maybe. Um, they had found the body four days before this, before oh. Melanie had been informed. So he was just, I think, on the run that time. So. Because he knew what was, he knew he, that she was there. Yeah. Well, I don't he think he was probably he knew. watching for it. I mean, reports. I think he was just try, probably just trying to get away. He was in Virginia, you know, oh. who knows what he was doing during that time. Just running. Yeah. So it's believed that she was badly beaten and strangled. Andres then drove her body to James Beard Park and burned her body, and then he went on the run. The last time Melanie heard her sister's voice was on June 5th, 2011, and is believed she died not long after that. The messages she received on Facebook and Twitter were Andres pretending to be Melanie, Mm. which is sickening. And so because of that, he's been called the Facebook killer. The Facebook killer. Yeah. I don't call him the Facebook killer. Well, that's like the, when you look up the story, it's he, they, called, he's been called the Facebook the killer. The Facebook killer. But there's also someone else called Facebook killer, too. Right. That actually like did kill somebody was, on Facebook, Facebook, like while it was, you know. Oh, I know that story. Yeah. But I think this one was because it was before that. God. So I guess the original. He had to come up with a name. <laughs> So Melanie established a foundation in Jasmine's name to raise awareness about domestic violence. It's the Jasmine Nunez Foundation. 
Melanie does speaking engagements and music concerts to raise funds. And you can find it on Facebook and I'll also put it in the show notes. And also, um, I decided to do this story because it's October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness oh, yes. Month. And so you're supposed to paint your ring finger on your left hand purple to show support. And I have it <laughs> dark, dark purple only. And, and so um, an organi- organization called Break the Cycle has a toll-free number that you can speak with a trained peer advocate. And this is for in the U.S. And that number is one 866 331-9474. It is open 24-7. And you can also text love is, which is 22522. And I'll also put all this in the show notes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. That's depressing. I know. It's sad. That that's not good. No, it's sad. It's um, I think though it's good to talk about these stories because I think it happens so and it's so easily for you to get in this type of situation and hopefully hearing enough about what it looks like you can then start to evaluate your own relationship not that you can get not saying that you can get out right away or whatever but maybe start seeing early signs of control and um, the cycle of abuse once you're in it you know, you don't even realize it sometimes. Then, you know, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, my God, I'm in it now. <laughs> but then how do I get out? How do I get out? And you can talk to somebody. I say talk to somebody. Don't keep it all in. Yeah, definitely tell somebody that you trust. Tell or somebody that, you trust. Safe. Call that number that, you know, call, text that number. You can speak with people who are trained and can help you. Sometimes it just helps to talk to somebody. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is where you feel trapped. You don't know how to get out. But you can get out, you know? Yeah. I think, though, sometimes you feel like I'm, I don't know, even know how to get out of this situation. Like, you know, you don't know how you got in it and you don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Because of different threats or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know, he was threatening. He's just disgusting. Disgusting. I mean, when somebody has that much control over you, I think what also is good is if somebody doesn't let you have your own privacy and they don't respect that you, need to have privacy because everybody needs to have it then that's a first sign that is a big red flag Mm -hmm. then if somebody needs to know where you are 24 7 that's that's a problem it's not love yes that's control you should be able to do your own thing Mm -hmm. so yeah people need to pay attention to things like that so i just think it's a good time to talk about it since it is domestic awareness month and Mm -hmm. then that's something you know that's close to both of our hearts too. Oh God, yeah, yeah, a little sensitive. It's a little mm-hmm. hard for me to read this. I probably wouldn't be able to ever do a case like that because it's hard. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. So my story is not about that. Well, my good. or my case is not about that. Yes. Okay. So my case, I'm going to actually tell you about um, a lady named Kimberly Clark Sayens. Sayens. Um, she's also known as Kimberly Clark Fowler. Okay, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to call her Kimberly. I just think it when I hear Kimberly Clark, like, Kleenex. What? That's who, owns, that's who owns Kleenex. Kim- I didn't Kimberly know Kimberly Clark. It's not her, for sure. Okay. I can guarantee that. <laughs> um, she Okay, so Kimberly was born November 3rd, 1973 in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts. Um, she lived there until 2007 when she moved to Lufkin, Texas, and lived with her husband, Mark Kevin Sands. 
and two kids. I don't think they were his kids. I think they were her kids previously because I think she got pregnant when she was young. Okay. Young, young. Not that that matters. Anyway, Kimberly was a licensed practical nurse, um, but she was struggling to keep employment. Um, She was fired from her last four jobs. Like, so within a year, she was Mm -hmm. fired from four different jobs. Records show that she was once fired from Woodland Heights Hospital after they caught her stealing Demerol and cheating on urine tests. On her own urine tests? Mm-hmm. So okay. they caught her. They she was they leaving. caught her in the act? Well, the, she was leaving the hospital, and mm-hmm. they do, like, purse checks. Yeah. And they checked her purse, and she had all this Demerol under somebody else's name. And at that moment, they took it from her, and then they did a urine test. Wouldn't you think to, like, if you knew they were doing a purse check, to hide it Hide somewhere? it somewhere up your butt? I don't know. Yeah. In your badge. <laughs> I would totally stick it up my badge. Um, um, anyway, so she had a history of drug dependence, clearly. Mm-hmm. And she often stole prescription medication to keep up with her habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the troubles didn't stop at work. Kimberly and Mark were having marital troubles. Um, to the point that one night on June 2007, the couple were fighting so bad that Mark up and left. He left and he went to his mother's boyfriend's house okay and kimberly followed and when she gets there she is like erratic and he is like trying to get away and um he calls the police and the police find a very drunk and high off of codeine kimberly and she's pounding on the door and cussing up a storm and she gets arrested and for public intoxication and criminal trespassing So she's, Kimberly is, she's out of control. Um, But Kimberly now needs a job. So she applied at a place called DeVita's Dialysis Clinic with an application full of lies. Like, you can't have a record, okay, or you can't have a drug issues, you know, and actually get a, a nursing job. Right. But she lied, and in 2008, she was hired. Um, just shortly after Kimberly was hired, the in the spring of that year, the clinic started having an unusual spike and patients falling seriously ill oh. um, and dying during their treatments. Oh, no. Um, paramedics were called to the clinic 30 times in April, which is double the number called the previous years. Um, for instance, Wikipedia tells us that <laughs> one patient... <laughs> Thelma Metcalf had um, had to go to the emergency room several times due to getting too much heparin blood thinner before dying. Oh, no. Another patient, Clara Strange, went into a cardiac arrest. Um, this, and the spike in all the EMS um, calls was especially unusual since norm- normal conditions at a dialysis clinic is that patent, like, basically no patient's code it is not a thing that you code in fact I to think die so. or to get sick on dialysis yeah. is very rare so the problems continued and e- the ems workers were really disturbed they passed their concerns on to their superiors at the lufkin fire department and department officials secretly wrote state health inspectors and asked them to have a look his uh the letter was sent over and it said, in the last two weeks, we've had transported 16 patients. This is a little abnormal, or this seems a little abnormal and is disturbing my med crew. Could you 
um, could you, these calls be investigated by you? Like they are mm. directly asking someone to look at what was going right. on. So after the first two patients, Thelma Metcalf and Clara Strange, after they died of cardiac arrest on April 1st, so two ladies died in one day. Wow. Uh, DeVita was sent, DeVita, the, the, the facility, right. sent one of its clinical coordinators, Amy Clinton, to the facility to find out what was going on. During the investigation, so three more patients died. Wow. And more patients were having an unusual reaction to their treatment at the DeVita's dialysis clinic in um, Lufkin. So on April 16th, 2008, a patient named Garland Kelly was doing fine at the beginning of his treatment when he went unresponsive and his machine went off. A patient care tech saw Kimberly restart his machine even though he was not regaining consciousness. Hmm. He died of cardiac arrest and toxicology testings showed positive results for bleach in his dialysis port. What? Yeah. So six days later... On April 22nd, patient Cora Bryant was heard asking Kimberly what medication she was giving her. Mm-hmm. Right moments before her machine alarm went off and she went unconscious, Cora died shortly after, and toxicology reports find bleach in her dialysis port. Wow. Yeah. So four days after that, mm-hmm. on April 26, 2008, patient Opal Few was a lively and energetic lady beginning to, um, who began having problems just moments after starting her dialysis. She became unresponsive and had no heartbeat or and wasn't breathing. She died. A patient care technician noticed Kimberly not having any expression on her face at Opal's condition. Hmm. So she was just like, that lady had no reaction. Right. And she's dying right in front of her. Right. So a couple days later, on April 28, 2008, at 4.30 a.m., Kimberly showed up to work, and her supervisor, Amy Clinton, told her she would be working as a patient care tech that day instead of doing her usual rounds as a nurse. Kimberly was noticeably distressed. She was crying and wiping away tears at having, at having to do a job that was beneath her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She said... That's beneath me. Oh, my goodness. The thought of having to clean up vomit and wiping up blood and monitoring patients was devastating to her. That's like part of your job, though. I mean, (laughs) come on. Yeah. You're going to do that anyway. Um, Anyway, but she went about her duties as she was requested. Um, Shortly after that, so around 6 o'clock that morning, two regular patients, Marva Roan and Carol Reisinger, came in for their treatments that they received um, to – Three days, three times a week. Uh, they sat down just 40 feet away from two other regular patients, Loralee Hamilton and Linda Hall, who um, noticed that the two ladies sit down mm-hmm. and then they noticed Kimberly walking over to Marva and Carolyn's station. She placed a jug of bleach on the floor. And Loralee oh. and Linda watched as Kimberly proceeded to squat down and pour bleach into a cleaning bucket. And drawing up 10 cc's of liquid into a syringe and proceeded to inject the bleach into the ports of the dialysis on both for the dialysis on both patients oh my gosh yep and she just did it out in the open like that too they're under investigation because everyone's dying yeah like people are talking about it right (laughs) and then she just comes in with bleach. bleach just 
That's crazy to me. Well, my thought was maybe she did it so brazenly because she was given the bleach to clean up a mess and that would justify her carrying it. But any other time, she wouldn't have reason to touch the bleach. True. So this time they're giving her the bleach, yeah. essentially, if she's cleaning up the blood. So she, anyway, but yes, yeah, she's doing it right in front but of people. But she's doing right. Yeah. There she's are not people, trying to hide it at all. People are watching her. Right. Um, Laureline and Linda were horrified. They said they felt they immediately felt something was wrong. Okay. These are quotes. You ready? First, the floor isn't sanitary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, oh, no. That's the thought. That's the thought. Um, and, and two, Kimberly seemed nervous. Not the fact that there was actually blood fucking in her fucking thing. Yeah, yeah bleach. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jesus. weird. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> they did their best. So they reported what they saw, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And while neither Marva or, nor Caroline went into a cardiac arrest. But she gave it to them. Oh, yeah. She, not, and they, they were. Not the ones that were watching it. Not the ones that were watching. Nope. But the other. The other one's 40 feet away. So okay. the ones that were sitting there had been there earlier when the other two walked in. Mm-hmm. And when the other two walked in, she went over to them. Gotcha. And they were watching them walk in and watching her inject them. And so then they were the ones that were and like, then it, they was alerted. it wasn't sanitary. That's not sanitary. Um, yeah. So while they didn't go into a cardiac arrest, they did start to feel really ill. Testing did reveal that Marva's dialysis line tested positive for bleach, um, though Carolyn's line was already thrown away and could not be tested. Kimberly was sent home immediately and she was fired the next day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So at this time, Kimberly was now immediately at the top of the investigation. Well, yeah. Yeah. And she was taken into custody. Um, Her home computer was taken in for forensic examination, and they found some very disturbing search queries. Uh, A Yahoo search engine shows that on April 2nd, 2008, so the day after the first two died, right, um, there had been a search for bleach poisoning, leading to an article on chlorine poisoning. Um, further examination showed earlier searches the first week of May, so well before all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, May t- 2008, there were searches for, quote-unquote, bleach given during dialysis, and another one for, can bleach be detected in dialysis lines? Oh, my goodness. What a sick fuck. Yeah, who I mean, fucking thinks of that shit? No. So Kimberly was also known to have a bad attitude towards her job. And towards her patients, and even well, towards the patient, and even it's clear she didn't love them. No, yeah, and she was talking shit about them, and especially about the ones that died. Like she was talking shit. She's awful. I mean, terrible. How could you do that to people? I, I don't just know. Don't in days, people, multiple so people many a day. People. She just yeah. sociopath. So through questioning, Kimberly had several excuses to why. She, that she was seen with bleach and why the bleach was likely found in the lines of the patients who died. What were her excuses? She made no sense. She was like, well, I I took the bleach and I I pushed the bleach through fast because I don't know the last time it was sterilized. Oh my gosh. And then they're like, you put it in the person's body. You put it in the body. You need to sterilize the body. Literally. She was, she was not making any sense. And I literally, all the drugs in her probably because because she's a narcissist and thinks she can say what she wants to say and nobody will question her any further. Um, I, I put on here, um, 
but none of them, none of it made sense. Like she was saying some shit and nothing made, nothing sense. made sense. Um, so needless to say on March 31st, 31st 2012 Kimberly was convicted of murdering five patients my and, goodness and five people in, in a month in one month. yes and she was um and injuring five other patients so she was attempting 10 um she was sentenced to life in prison with no eligibility of parole for five murders Good. and then given additional three consecutive 20-year sentences for aggravated assault um, during the trial, people stated that Kimberly was mad about her relationship status and was taking it out on the patients at the clinic. Her relationship status? Because her and her, boy, her husband kept getting and into they fights. they had fights and she was taking it out on patients? Yes. Are you kidding me? What in the world? She has kids. What in the world? Yeah, and they said that that is what they contest. They, they said that they think that she's um, has More. done this before. I, I would think so too. In other ways. Yes, I would think so too. Because like this wasn't her first time doing you it. You get fired from four jobs yeah. in, a month, in a year. Yeah. No. What are you doing? Wow. That's so scary because you trust people like that. They're in a position of trust. Just automatically you trust them. I know. Uh, you know? And you think that they have your best interest and then you, you better hope they do you have somebody who's killing who is has evil intent and is doing that's it in front of blazingly brazenly doing it yeah, in front of other really, people really really sick yeah so yeah that is that is kimberly kimberly clark, clark sands or kimberly clark fowler oh and she's in jail. Well, good. And she's in there for life. And the yeah. people and the survivors of the ones that had passed were just like angry oh and yeah the be worst pissed and about it you know you just you're the worst so person that's ever existing yeah you just don't know yeah so there's yeah. that's that well that's that and those are our true crime cases mm-hmm. for this evening yeah we're glad to be doing this yeah very glad <laughs> <laughs> um yeah follow us on social media under facebook it's uh what the f podcast we also have a facebook discussion group where we'll be doing more discussion and discussion discussions <laughs> thank you and then so we're, look for us there yes and then um email us at official what the f podcast at gmail.com and we're on twitter which is actually wtf true crime pod is what we're under there and instagram instagram also what the f podcast yes Yes. so and reach out we love to hear from you guys yep let us know what you think yep and we'll let you know what we think yep and until then (laughs) we'll we will talk to you later bye bye